I deeply believe that prayer is the single most resisted activity on the planet. I believe prayer is the single most resisted activity on the planet. Why? Why is the enemy afraid of your prayers? Why is your, every time you try to set aside time to pray, you get distracted, you get derailed, you, you, you drift off in your focus? Why? Because prayer moves things. Prayer, we don't just pray because we should. We pray because it works. Can I get a good amen? It's good to be obedient. It's good to pray because God tells us to pray. But I'm telling you, we pray because it works. It works. Prayer moves things. Uh, Tomorrow when we talk about the Lord's Prayer, I'm going to talk about how to make the secret place your favorite place. Uh, Again, this is coming from a guy who had no idea truly how to pray until coming through EBI. And now many times when I get invited to speak places, they want me to come and talk about prayer. I said, if you only knew (laughs) where the journey that I've been on. But I do believe that God's invitation is what fuels our prayer life far more than our initiative. When you understand how deeply he craves to be believed and to be asked, his invitation will fuel your initiative. It's, it's his desire to answer prayer that is so much stronger than my discipline to pray. And so when your focus is on the right thing, it will literally feed your prayer life. Rather than being so conscious of yourself, become more God conscious, and it will draw you into another place of prayer. But prayer moves things. Our prayers literally move heaven and earth. And I was, I was just taking some time talking to the Lord, and he brought this memory back to my mind of um, my dad. My, so my dad passed away in 2017, but a few years before he passed away, he always loved to just fix things, anything he could fix. He loved large power tools. He loved equipment. So when he was driving down the road and he saw this backhoe on the side of the road, he just thought, you know what? I'm going to buy that and fix it up. He didn't need a backhoe. He didn't need an excavator. He just wanted one. So one day my wife and I, we, we go to his house and, and to visit my mom and dad. And my wife, Anna, she's like maybe 5'4", right? Not a very large person on the outside. She's, she's, she's small but mighty. And uh, we get there, and my dad is operating this backhoe that he has fixed in no time. And I just see him digging a massive hole in the backyard and moving dirt from place to place. Just because he can. And my wife is like, hey, I want to do that. So she jumps on the backhoe, and I'm watching her pull these levers and move dirt in this huge bucket. And I'm thinking, what is happening here? And the Holy Spirit said to me, he said, that's what happens when you pray. Your prayers literally move heaven and earth. Your prayers do things you could never do in the arm of the flesh or your own strength. Prayer moves things. My wife is so tiny. I saw her moving these huge mounds of earth. I'm thinking, this is crazy. You know, Smith Wigglesworth, the English plumber who had a very low uh, education but did raise 12 people from the dead and did have an incredible uh, healing and evangelistic ministry, he said, I may be small on the outside, but I'm a, I'm a thousand times bigger on the inside. When, you're, when you pray, you strengthen your spirit, man, to speak uh, with resistance against the things that are coming against you. And so tonight, I want to talk to you about speaking to the mountain, because prayer moves things. And I want you to turn your Bibles to Mark 11. Mark 11. Let me give you some quick background as you're turning there. Go in your device, go in your Bible, Mark 11. This is a very familiar portion of Scripture. And Jesus 
He's just told the disciples some pretty disturbing things. He's talked about the end of the age. He's talked about all kinds of things. And he has had the triumphal entry on the cult. This is the first time Jesus accepted public worship. And as they're walking back to the temple, he curses a fig tree. And the disciples the next day see that the fig tree that he spoke to withered up and died from the roots up. And they said, how is that possible? Now, you have to remember, this is the last week of Jesus' life on earth. So he doesn't have time for sidebar lessons. He doesn't have time for things that are not significantly important. And here he's giving one of his last teaching to the disciples, and it's about the power of prayer when you need to speak to a mountain. This is his last week, right? So there's an urgency here. Look at, look at Mark 11, starting in verse 22. The disciples say, how is this even possible, Jesus? Jesus says, So simply, have faith in God. I tell you the truth, if anyone, say anyone, says to this mountain, say mountain, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in his heart but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, Forgive him so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. I'm going to give you two very simple things tonight, but if it gets in your spirit, I'm telling you, it will, it will go far beyond this week of prayer. Number one, Jesus said, when you pray, believe. Believe that prayer actually moves things. When you pray, have faith. And I'll never forget Paul Johansson, one of the previous presidents of Elam. He would always say that prayer is the birthplace of strong faith. He would also say that that grace is God's grip on you, but faith is your grip on God. And I just believe that God loves a relentless, tenacious believing. God craves to be believed. Do you realize the, the great sin of the world is unbelief? What sends people to an eternity, a Christless eternity? Unbelief. God craves, his eyes are searching to and fro across the earth for people who will believe him. Because he wants to do things, but he's also looking for partnership through our prayer. The good thing is every one of us have been given a measure of faith, and we can develop it, we can grow it. My faith is a lot stronger than it was 20 years ago when I was a student, because you're just constantly having to exercise it. Hebrews 11 says that faith is what? Faith is the substance, the evidence of things hoped for, right? It's the evidence of things unseen. That word substance is interesting because it's not just used in Hebrew 11. It's used in Hebrews 1 when it talks about Jesus being the substance of God, the substance of the Father. So the interesting thing is, and that word's only used a handful of times in the whole New Testament. So when you're praying and you're believing, you're not just believing for something, you're actually believing in someone. Faith is a substance. I, I'm not, I am believing for an outcome, but beyond the outcome, whether or not it happens, I'm believing in someone. Can I get an amen? Because you will pray for things and continue to pray for things, and when they don't happen, we're disheartened. But the truth is, I'm not just believing for something. I'm believing in someone. Faith is the substance of who he is. You've been given a measure of faith. Faith faith is what we exercise. John Ortberg, I love this author, he says, the great danger is not that you will renounce your faith, 
but that you might settle for a mediocre version of it. Sometimes I think we settle. Sometimes um, growing up, I talked about my grandma on her couch this morning. I spent a lot of time at my grandparents' house, and um, their whole side of the family are 100% Portuguese. They came over on a boat from Portugal, and so we didn't call her grandma. We called her vovó. If you're Portuguese, you have a vovó. And so I would go to Vavo's house all the time. And when you're at your grandparents' house, usually you can do whatever you want, eat whatever you want. So I was in the freezer eating ice cream often. And so I memorized a magnet on her fridge, which was the serenity prayer. How many of you have ever heard the serenity prayer? It's an incredible prayer. It's used in AA. It's used in so many different settings. It's, it's God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, right? The courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. God, give me the serenity. Let me know. The problem is, I think far too many of us put things in the unchangeable category, and we're asking God for serenity, and we're asking God for peace for a mountain that he wants moved. Can I tell you that contentment will not come in your life when you are asking for peace with a mountain that God wants moved? God, just give me serenity. Just give me peace. He said, no, I'm trying to give you the courage, the tenacity, and the faith to speak to that thing. Amen? Jesus said, when you pray, believe. I believe that far more things are changeable than we realize. I love this quote from Tim Keller. Tim Keller said, he said, prayer is rebellion against the status quo. I love that. I don't want a status quo life. You know what's so amazing? I realized that prayer... I used to think prayer was so boring. Now I've realized that my life becomes incredibly boring without prayer. David said, God, I lay my request before you in the morning, and I wait in expectation all day long for you to do something. (laughs) Prayer adds color to your life. Prayer adds expectation. Prayer moves things. It changes things. So Jesus said, when you pray, believe. I want to talk about some modern-day mountains that you may have in your life. And that I have in my life. And, and I believe that the power of a testimony is so incredible because the word testimony in the Hebrew literally means to repeat or to do again. So when you hear a testimony, I don't want you just to be encouraged. I want you to have faith that God could do it again. Do you believe that what God has done before he could do again? And do you believe that what God has done for someone else he could do for you? C.S. Lewis said, we need to be reminded more than we need to be instructed. We forget a lot. And I think when we forget, we forfeit the growth of our faith. It's almost like courage by memory. So I rehearse to myself, honestly, testimonies of things God has done in the past to give me faith for the mountains that I'm facing right now. Uh, I remember I was, I was pastoring at EGC. I, was, uh, I received a magnet for a save the date for a wedding to put on your refrigerator. And I put the thing on my refrigerator, the save to date, and it's amazing the way the Holy Spirit sometimes will talk to you in random times, right? I'm looking at this magnet, and it was like the Holy Spirit said to my heart, how rude would it be if this couple sent you a save the date magnet but never followed up with an invitation to the wedding? I'm like, yeah, that'd be kind of rude. And he said to me, he said, why do you, when you share a testimony, think it's just a reminder of my goodness and not an invitation to experience it again? Listen, when you hear a testimony tonight, I I believe this. Jesus Jesus said in John 16, 
I want you to come to me and I want you to pray so that I can answer your prayers and your joy may be complete. So watch the process here because prayer adds strength to your life. Answered prayer gives you more joy, more joy, the joy of the Lord is your strength. I wonder if sometimes we're living weaker lives or fatigued and weakened because we're not remembering the answered prayer that God has already done for us. He said, I want you to pray so that I can answer your prayers, and then your joy will be full, your joy will be complete, and when you have complete joy, you have more strength. So let's talk about some modern-day mountains in our lives, and I want to share some, some answered prayer with you to build your faith because tonight, as we close, we're going to speak to some mountains. So I want you to build your faith. I don't want you just to be a passive spectator. I want you to engage. I want you listening to the Holy Spirit. What mountain in your life needs to be moved? And it may not move tonight, or it may, but it needs to be spoken to tonight. So some modern-day mountains that we face. How about the modern-day mountain of sickness? Um, I'll never forget, I was getting ready to do a Saturday morning prayer meeting at the EGC building, and I got a message that my mom was incredibly sick. She loves to, uh, she lives in Connecticut, and so she loves to pick blueberries, and all these things are in season. Well, while she was doing that, apparently, she got bit by a tick. And ticks not only carry Lyme's disease, they carry other things. And she contracted Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever. Didn't even know that was a thing until I Googled it. It's nasty, right? She's in the hospital. She's 60 years old or so at this time. For seven days, they can't break her fever. It's 104 to 105 degrees. They're giving her morphine to keep her comfortable. I'm thinking, this is crazy. How many of you know, sometimes things just reach a point and you're like, okay, enough. (laughs) Like, enough. God, we need your intervention. And so I stopped our prayer meeting. I got everyone to pray and just begin to speak right now to that mountain of sickness. And wouldn't you know, as I got out of the prayer meeting, I get a text message that her fever broke. And she was quickly released from the hospital. I could, my mom could have died from that stupid tick, right? If I just said, oh, God. My mom's sick, just give me serenity. I probably would have been doing her funeral a week later. Are you hearing me? I believe God craves to be believed. I believe God craves to be partnered with. And and there are mountains that we've got to speak to. My son Jesse, who's our youngest, um, when he was six years old, he developed a growth on his throat, on his Adam's apple. And it was, we didn't know what it was, although... His Adam's apple was much larger than most grown men. And I was like, he's six years old. This is something. What's happening? Well, he had a a cyst on his thyroid. And it shows you how much anatomy I know. I didn't even know your thyroid was in your throat. I'm like, okay. And so then the doctor surprised us and said, we need to do surgery. She said, it's not cancerous, but we need to do surgery. And so we're like thinking about this. I'm thinking, you know. I'm 40, I've never had surgery my whole life. This kid's six years old and they're going to cut his neck open. So we're trying to like sell him on the surgery because the doctor's saying, we need to do this medical procedure. It's going to be good. We'll deal with it. And uh, I'll never forget a family friend was over the house and she was trying to talk to Jesse and she's like, Jesse, it's going to be okay. You're going to be fine. They have to do this kind of thing all the time. And he was trying to be very respectful, but he goes, no, 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 Miss Michelle, they're going to cut my neck open. There's nothing okay with that. (laughs) And he was terrified, right? And so I remember putting him to bed. We were going to be going to the doctor to see the surgeon on Friday. It was a Monday night. I said, Jesse, here's the deal. 
I said, how about we pray that Jesus removes this cyst before the surgeon has to touch it? He's like, yeah, Dad, that would be amazing. So we just say this simple little prayer, and that's it. He goes to bed. And I don't really notice throughout the week, but when we go to the surgeon for the pre-op visit on a Friday, my wife and I are there, and they take him in for some tests, and we're signing all the clipboards like if we lose his life, we're not going to hold the hospital a lot. It's scary paperwork. You read it, and you're like, what are we doing? And the surgeon comes back in the room and says, Mr. and Mrs. Finley, I, I don't really know how to explain this, but the, the cyst was so large, and now it's not even the size of a pea. And she said, I, I'm going to cancel the surgery, and let's see what happens. And me being the man of faith and power that, that prayed, I just was like quietly rejoicing in my heart. But my wife, the little dynamo, was like, we prayed for that. We believe Jesus for healing. <laughs> I tell you what, my son was so excited that they never had to cut his neck open and the cyst completely disappeared. It's been gone ever since. Never an issue. God will do things in your life and around your life so you carry that with you for the rest of your life. It's powerful. The mountain, we're going to speak to the mountain of sickness tonight. I was... I was preaching at a church in New Jersey. Uh, Dr. David Ireland, he's been here before for sure. And I was getting on a plane flying home, and I got a message from my older brother that my nephew had a tragic accident. My brother lives in Kodiak, Alaska. So not only does he live in Alaska, but he lives in, on the island of Kodiak, very remote. And it was 4th of July weekend, and they were out camping on the beach, and my sister-in-law and, and two of my nephews were just walking on this trail. And all of a sudden, one of my nephews, Nathan, who was 15, he slipped off the trail and at first, Caleb, his brother, started laughing because he's like, look at Nathan, like, tumbling off the trail. But what they didn't realize was they were so close to a cliff that Nathan actually fell and started tumbling off this cliff and landed on the beach on a pile of these huge, jagged rocks. So my sister-in-law, who is a firefighter and an EMT, is watching her son tumble off this mountain. And, and Caleb is watching his older brother tumble off this, this cliff. And they don't know what to do. And so, so Brenda, she starts running for the highway for the road to see if she could flag down a truck or a car or anybody coming by. And Caleb is there and sees his brother unconscious and bleeding at the bottom of this cliff and, and doesn't know what to do because there's no easy way to get to him. He was like this all-state wrestler. He just decides, I'm going to free climb down the rocks to my brother because i got to get to him. So he climbs down to him. And he doesn't know this, but because Nathan had tumbled so terribly, he broke his wrists, he broke ribs, he broke his kneecap, he broke his ankle, and he shattered his jaw, and he also had uh, brain fluid coming out his ear. So he's unconscious, and his body is broken, right? Traumatic brain injury. Then he becomes conscious and starts feeling the pain. And is just crying out for help. And Caleb is like so distressed. He's 13 years old. And so Caleb goes out into the ocean, takes his shirt off and just starts waving it over his head, praying that God would send somebody to help. Lo and behold, a Coast Guard ship comes around the corner of the bay and pulls up. And they begin to work out a medical evacuation for Nathan. Incredible how God worked all this out. 
So my brother happens to be in Anchorage. He's, he's on land, and he gets a phone call that you need to quickly fly to the hospital. You know, Nathan's had a tragic injury. We don't know if he's going to live, but we know it's, it's, it's a tragic brain injury. And because my sister-in-law is a nurse and an EMT, she knows how bad this is. So they medically evacuate him. He goes to the hospital, and my brother is so distraught. And my brother, let me, to describe him, you've got to think of, like, one of the Duck Dynasty family members. Like, he is rugged. He is an outdoorsman. He, he, and, and he just, he, here he is shaken because his son could die. And he said, I closed my eyes as soon as I got on the plane, and he said, the Lord gave me a vision of a map of the United States. And he said, all I could see was smoke rising from certain states, Florida, Connecticut, Nebraska, different places where we had family members. And the Lord said to him, Michael, Nathan is going to live. The smoke you see is the intercession of your family and friends praying for his life. So he goes into the hospital and sees his boy broken in every way possible. And we just keep praying. And the doctors say, we don't know if he'll talk again. We don't know if he's going to live. If he does live, he's probably going to have traumatic brain issues. And so we just keep praying. We keep praying. They're going, doing all these surgeries on his jaw and his ankle and his kneecap. And he is so broken. Can I tell you, miraculously, a week and a half later, he was released out of intensive care? A week and a half later, he is sent home with a neck brace and a sling and all this stuff. A month and a half later, he is starting his, his, his sophomore year of high school. And before he's all said and done, he's back playing football again on the football team like nothing ever happened. I'm like, is the, the doctors literally were like, this is a miracle. In fact, the fire department went back to the site that he fell from because they wanted to measure with their ladders how high it was. And they said it would be the equivalent of someone falling from the top of a telephone pole 30 feet in the air. You can't tell me that God, when you start speaking to mountains that have no business moving. Listen, you can't move a mountain. I can't move a mountain. But the God we serve, listen, your prayers are powerful because your God is powerful. Jesus said, when you pray, believe. Speak to the mountain. There's mountains of sickness. What about the the mountain of just disaster or calamity? Things just happen on a fallen planet. And it's amazing because God will put you in situations where there's no one else to pray so that you can pray and give him glory. Um, We have some family that live in Sholo, Arizona, where it gets really dry and they have fires sometimes. Well, they had a forest fire that started moving closely to my wife's grandmother's house in Sholo. They evacuated the whole town. They're devastated. They're going to lose their retirement house. And they're so nervous, and they're not believers. And this is back in the day when people still had a device called an answering machine. Does anybody know what that is? So they actually had a a device where it would record, you know, messages if you called. And I felt like the Holy Spirit prompted me to call the answering machine and speak over the property that the fire would not consume their house. Now, can I tell you, God has no problem asking you to do things that seem crazy. Because he's well aware of his power and well aware of what he wants to do in a situation. But when you're calling your unsaved family member's house, I'm kind of like, what's the worst that can happen? If he doesn't answer my prayer, the answer machine gets burned up, all the evidence is gone, and they won't know that I'm crazy. 
I got on the phone and began to speak to the fire, speak to the winds to shift, speak to that mountain. And can I tell you, the house was completely preserved. The fire stopped right next to their town. They went back home and played the answering machine. And they were like, I can't believe what God did. Jesus said, when you pray, believe. Sometimes there's mountains of sickness. Sometimes there's mountains of disaster or calamity. How about, how about the mountain of financial pressure? Come on, college students. Anybody ever deal with that? School loans, school bills. I remember vividly praying down to the minute when I had to go to the financial office to pay some bills here. An interesting thing happened to Ann and I. We were um, serving at EGC as youth pastors and God had given us dreams to do some things with real estate and property, and God had even given us prophetic words from very reliable prophets that that was a part of our life, and God was going to do that. And so when an opportunity came, I began to work with a company to, to invest in some properties. And at first, it was amazing. And at first, it brought lots of income to our family until it didn't. Uh, 2008, when the housing market shifted, all kinds of things were turned upside down, and it was a, hu- it was a huge issue, right? And it began for us a nine-year battle because the people that we were working with had done some unlawful things against us, and we had to involve lawyers, and it was just a illegal mess. And what's, what, isn't it true sometimes so many things can be going good in your life, but if you have this lingering, drawn-out drama, trial, unresolved thing, that thing can just hover over you like a depressive cloud, right? It's, it's, like, it's like a mountain in your way. And I'll never forget, I was in Orlando, and it was the nine-year anniversary from when this whole thing unraveled. In fact, the day that that investment business unraveled was the day my second son, Jesse, was born. Jesse's name means wealthy. I started laughing. I said, God, this is ridiculous. <laughs> the day my son of wealth is born, this whole thing crumbles. So I'm in this hotel, I'm in Orlando, and I'm, and I'm praying. I'm, kinda, I'm really frustrated. I said, God, we've been speaking to this mountain for nine years. What is the deal? Listen, God always has a purpose. Sometimes he will, he will prolong things because he's changing you, and the prayer not only changes things, prayer changes you. And I felt like the Holy Spirit said, listen, Josh, I want you to look up the significance of nine. What does nine mean? And I'm not one of those everything has a deep meaning and significance, but I, I looked it up and I realized nine scripturally many times is a number of divine closure. And so I said, God, if you're telling me that this is the divine closure of our nine-year financial battle with this, I'm, I'm going to believe that by faith. And so I continued to speak that mountain, continued to pray, and, and again, it was just, it was this heavy thing. Well, I get a phone call from my attorney kind of out of the blue and he just calls me one afternoon and says, hey, listen, I just want to let you know you guys won the case, and uh, you're getting a whole lot of money back, and it's, it's good. It's done. It's all resolved. And I was, like, in shock. I was stunned. I mean, you deal with something for nine years, you're like, wait a second, it can't be that quick and easy. And I felt like the Holy Spirit said, look at your voicemail, see what time he called you. And it was at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, exactly 3 o'clock in the afternoon, he left me a voicemail, which also happened to be the ninth hour when Jesus cried out and said, it is finished. He said, nine is the number of divine closure. And then I had some intercessors who were praying for us that texted me and said, hey, Pastor Josh, did you know what today is? 
I said, no, what is today? They said, today on the Jewish calendar is Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, the ninth month. It's, the, it's divine closure of all of our sins. She said, do you also know what today? Intercessors know some stuff. I'm telling you, you got to surround yourself with some intercessors. She said, it's not only the Day of Atonement in Yom Kippur. It's actually the 50th year. It's the year of Jubilee, the canceling of debts. I said, you've got to be kidding me. God waited nine years for the ninth month on the Day of Atonement, on the ninth hour. Come on, how many of you know, don't stop speaking to mountains because they actually move. I don't just pray diligently because I'm, I, I have to or I should. I do it because it works. Jesus said, when you pray, believe. Sickness, calamity, disaster, whatever it might be, financial pressure. I, be, I just believe God. How about fear and anxiety? There's a mountain that is so looming. But the Bible says in Psalm 112 that the fear, the righteous are not supposed to live in fear of bad news. What does that mean? It means you're not supposed to live waiting for the other shoe to drop. You're not supposed to live waiting for the devastating phone call. You're not supposed to live waiting to see what else is going to happen. It says the righteous live without fear of bad news. I tell you what, if you go into ministry, sometimes every time your phone goes off, a panic attack can happen. Or what's happening? What's, what, what news am I going to get today? The righteous don't live in fear of bad news. They speak to mountains of fear and anxiety. Jesus said, when you pray, believe. He was teaching something so significant to his disciples. Fear and anxiety. Another quick testimony on that. It was July 1st, 2014. You know, Lima is not that big. Have you noticed? One stoplight. You can't even get food at 10 o'clock. Everything's closed. I mean, it's, it's, it's something. It's, it's, uh, you can't even get a piece of pizza. Or, you know, it's something. And I lived here 15 years, so I know. Uh, but you could speak to that mountain and things will change. Businesses will come in Jesus' name. I'm dead serious. <laughs> It was July 1st, 2014, and three men decided that they were going to have an armed robbery in Bath, New York. They shot a man to kill him, robbed him, and were driving back through town up 15A. They started getting chased by a state trooper, and they came through Lima and crashed and hit a tree at the end of my street, Ziegler Road. It's like the middle of the night, maybe 2 o'clock in the morning, and these three fugitives get out of the car and start scattering through the neighborhood to hide. I'm sleeping. I don't know what's going on. And they run into Mark Tubbs Park to try to hide down by the creek and by the trees. And so my neighbors, uh, they wake up because we have helicopters flying over our houses with these strobe lights, huge, bright strobe lights, right? They have a SWAT team set up on our street. And honestly, I think the SWAT team was just, like, so excited that they had something to do. They're like, yes, we have a situation. This is Lima. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's so, they literally have barricades on the street, choppers everywhere, dogs. And I wake up, and my neighbors are texting me like crazy, like, I don't know how you can be sleeping through this. What is wrong with you? And I'm like, what's going on? And they're like, there are armed robbers hiding in our backyards. And I'm like, oh, snap. Now, now I'm like, 
a little ticked because it's like when the enemy steps into your territory, what God said, I'll give you everywhere you place your foot. I'm like, no, no, not, not in my yard. This is not happening. Sometimes a holy attitude will rise up in you. I'm like, we have more angels and more ammo. I'm telling you, we are, we are going to deal with this. And so I kid you not, I, I locked my bedroom, put, locked my wife in there, locked the bedroom for the boys and grabbed some self-defense type things and went down into my basement to make sure there was no one hiding in my basement, went into my garage. I'm like Navy sealing my property. You know what I'm saying? And... And I'm annoyed that these guys are on the loose and they've been uh, for five, six hours hiding from the cops and they can't find them. And so finally I just said, I started claiming Psalm 91. I spoke to that mountain of fear and anxiety. I said, listen, my family is not waking up to this mess. I said, Psalm 91 says, no harm will come to my place of dwelling. And in the name of Jesus, you will be apprehended by breakfast. I said, I'm not having my wife and kids come down stressed out. I kid you not. When they started walking down the steps from their room, I had the news on. And the moment they came down the steps, it said, uh, armed men apprehended in the cornfield by tractor supply. They had run behind our yard and kept going, and they were apprehended by breakfast. Come on, how many of you know you've got to speak to some? Stop asking God for serenity for things that he wants to change. Maybe he doesn't want to just give you peace. Maybe he doesn't want to just give you, maybe he wants to give you courage to speak to that thing. Because Jesus said to his disciples, when you pray, believe. I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up. I believe that God wants to move some mountains. You know, when we pray, the act of intercession and speaking to mountains, when, when you pray, intercession actually means bringing two opposite parties closer together. Uh, the word intercession is the same word that's used in the book of Joshua talking about the intersection of all the properties of the promised land. So catch this now. You want to talk about the mountain of unbelief that some of our loved ones have that we have to speak to, our friends? When you pray for your friends and you pray for your and I have family members that I've been praying for for over 20 years and it looks like nothing has happened. I'm going to keep speaking to that mountain because I don't know who else is speaking to that mountain. That deception, that unbelief, no, I'm speaking to that mountain. When Jesus prayed, God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, what was he doing? He was moving heaven closer to earth. He was interceding. He was moving two opposite parties closer together. When you and I intercede and when we speak to mountains, we're moving God closer to unbelievers so they can have an encounter with the living God. So many, oh, a girl that was at RIT who came to EGC from a Muslim background. She was born in Saudi Arabia from a, a radical family. Her brother was studying Sharia law, okay? Um... She wanted to start volunteering and operating a camera, but we knew she didn't know Jesus. But I said to the team, listen, let her operate the camera. She's going to hear the gospel every week. And she would come to every gathering. She would come. She said, I would go to the mosque every day, but every Sunday I would come to every single gathering. And you said to me that if I pray and ask Jesus if he's the son of God, he'll show himself to me. I said, I believe that. Sarah, I believe that with all my heart. She said, I would kneel down in the mosque and I would pray to Jesus, reveal yourself to me. Are you the son of God? After 18 months of speaking to that mountain, we got to privately and secretly water baptize her in a kiddie pool 
and she surrendered her life to Jesus. The amazing thing was she had to hide it from most of her family. But her sister was a PhD in Rochester and started noticing the change in Sarah. So she couldn't hide it anymore. She started asking her questions. She's like, what's different about you, Sarah? You seem so different. So her sister gets saved. What happened to people saying, I don't know, can, are Muslims coming? Muslims are coming to Christ in wild numbers. Do you know there's an organization called Lighthouse of Prayer, and they decided they were going to do an experiment on speaking to the mountain of unbelief, and they were going to pray for perfect strangers. Again, this was back when there was a thing called the phone book. Now everything is digital. This is what they did. Watch. They took two lists of names and put 80 people on each list. And they said, the first list of 80 names we're not going to pray over at all. The second list of names we're going to pray over every day for six weeks. Then we're going to call each person on the list and invite them to church and see what happens. I kid you not, they documented. The, the list that was not prayed over, not one person responded to their invitation. The list that they prayed over by name for six weeks... 62 out of the 80 people in the phone book not only said they would come but showed up at their church. I'm telling you, prayer will do things beyond what you could ask, think, or even imagine. God used my anemic prayer life in high school. I was a sophomore in high school. We were having one of these like invite nights at youth group. My youth group was like eight kids. I didn't even really like my youth group. Right? And But I put on my desk this index card of like 30 names of my friends because and to be brutally honest I liked my friends I wanted to stay friends with them I just needed them to love Jesus and the kids at youth group were great kids but I thought they were a little corny and not really like in my circle of friends and so I'm like Jesus you need to save all my friends because I need them to become the youth group and so what I did was I would pray before bed maximum 90 seconds a day For like two weeks, I prayed over this index card. And I said, God, you know all their hearts. I'm giving them all invitations. And I really pray that some of my friends join the youth group. Can I tell you, out of those like 30 names, over 15 of them showed up for our invite night. Our youth group like tripled in one day. I was shocked. I was shocked. I would have been happy if two people came. That night, Several of my friends gave their lives to Christ. One of my friends, when it was every head bowed, every eye closed, there was not a chance. I'm looking around at my friends, and I look across the room, and I see my friend Tarek with tears streaming down his face. See, what you don't know is Tarek was born in Pakistan, raised in a Muslim family, had to do all kinds of things just to come to church with me, gave his life to Jesus For him, it wasn't just a prayer. It was an absolute life surrender. He ended up walking with Jesus all the way through high school, coming to Elam Bible Institute and graduating in ministry. I said, what in the... How many of you believe that when you speak to mountains, Jesus said, when you pray, believe. Come on, would you stand to your feet? This is where we we close because some people just, they believe that. Yeah, faith is amazing, but... Jesus goes on and he says, and when you pray, forgive. This is, how, this is how the story ends. He says, and when you stand praying, getting ready to move mountains, getting ready to bring heaven closer to earth, 
He says, if you hold anything against anyone, that's triple A. All right, forget triple A car service. Think triple A, forgiveness. Do you realize how big of a category that is? Anything against anyone. Why does he want to do that? Because the blood of Jesus and the name of Jesus is so powerful. You cannot speak boldly to a mountain if you are holding unforgiveness in your heart. Sometimes we don't even know what we're holding against people. So here's what we're going to do. Because I, I believe this. Jesus did not say, talk to everyone in your life about your mountain. He didn't even say, talk to me about your mountain. Although he cares. Sometimes you can't just talk to God or talk to people about your mountain. Sometimes you've got to speak right to the mountain. But to do that, you've got to clear your heart of any unforgiveness. So this is what we're going to do. I want to take just, just one minute, two minutes max. I want you just to close your eyes. I want you to ask the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus said, when you pray, believe. And when you pray, forgive. Is there anyone that you're holding anything against? Anything against anyone? Right now, I just want you to release them. Release them from that debt. It could be small. It could be big. Just go with whatever the Holy Spirit says. Don't fight him. Don't resist him. Don't argue. I'm not bitter against that. Just if he reminds you of something, just, just release them. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Show us. Reveal to us. Who do we need to release forgiveness to? At the same time, God, we receive your forgiveness. We receive your blood. Thank you for removing any root of bitterness. Thank you for removing any unforgiveness. Holy Spirit, search us. Try us. See if there be any wicked way, any anxious way, anything on the inside. Remove it right now so that with the spiritual authority you've given us, we can speak to mountains.